In our New Testament lesson today, coming from the book of Acts, um, Paul is a prisoner on board a ship headed for trial in Rome. Um, And as you heard in the children's moment, the ship encounters a storm and it wrecks. And I'm going to jump around in chapter 27 of Acts, um, but I'm going to begin at the beginning. Um, And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 27 and kind of jumping around through the story, When it was decided that we were to sail for Italy, they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augusta cohort named Julius, embarking on a ship that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. Now, it goes on to talk about where all they went, um, and then it says, Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the fast had already gone, had already gone by, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be, will be with danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favor of putting to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix where they could spend the winter. Now, jumping down again, it says, so they weighed anchor and began to sail. And soon they encountered a storm. Jumping again, we were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. I'm sure that wasn't very helpful at the time. (laughs) And not have set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor, and indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we will have to run aground on some island. Fourteen days passed, and we jumped to 33 just before daybreak. Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. 
After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. What follows is the story of the shipwreck and the last verse of the chapter. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anna Carter Florence has a book entitled A is for Alabaster, 52 Reflections on the Stories of Scripture. And the S in this book is for shipwreck. And in this reflection, she expounds from Acts, the story from Acts 27. She says, the Mediterranean Sea is one of the most dangerous places in the world to sail because of how many islands are there, hundreds of them springing up in every direction. Some large, like Crete and Cyprus, they make it onto the map, but they can mess with the ship and sink it too. The islands conceal reefs, and the reefs change currents and shift winds until mariners don't know in which direction to go. That's the issue in our story, she claims. Paul's ship has missed the opportunity, the window of opportunity for safe voyage to Italy. In other words, the ship is headed for trouble, and Paul knows it. He warns them not to go on, but who's going to listen to a prisoner over the ship's owner and the pilot, both of whom thought it was best to continue on. They would beat the storms, they would arrive before winter, and of course, they won't lose the profits. She continues on by saying, but they were wrong. A storm did come. For days and days, they battled the storm, and eventually Paul spoke again. Have courage, he says. We will not lose lives, but we will lose the ship. In a shipwreck, Carter Florence says, all is chaos and panic is only human. So are the frantic voices arguing over risk factors and sustainable losses. But Paul brings the sharp sword of the word of God to cut through the noise. The only thing that matters here is life. The only thing worth saving here is life. The cargo can go. The ship can go. Those things don't matter. Pick up the pieces and go on. We can survive running aground on some island. Stay together and we will save our lives. After 14 days in the storm at sea, Paul once again stands to speak to his shipmates. By now, they're starting to turn on each other, as some do in a crisis. Paul knew they couldn't survive if they did, and he knew how hungry they were because they hadn't eaten in weeks. So he took bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke the bread and he began to eat and gave the bread to them, urging them to take some food and regain their strength. If he did, he said, he had the same, if they did, he said, he had the same message for them as before. Not one of them would lose a hair from their heads if they stayed together and remained as a united group. Paul's shipmates did as he said, every last one of them. There wasn't a Christian among them, Carter Florence says, but they ate the bread like the sacrament it was, and their hearts were encouraged, and their hope was restored.
in the midst of a storm, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of fear and panic and chaos, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all, broke the bread, and gave the bread. I told you last Sunday as we gathered for our All Saints celebration that this week and next, worship would center around gratitude, um, coming from inspiration from one of our departed saints, um, Anne Weisenborn. Um, and every time we come to table, every time we break bread, we lift the great thanksgiving, we give thanks to God. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. The Greek word um, from which we get the word Eucharist, Holy Communion, um, the Greek word Eucharistia, well, it means thankfulness, gratitude, giving of thanks. And once a month, we bring the messiness of life to this place, to this table, and we walk through a ritual that invites us routinely in the midst of our days to come as we are, to remember we stand together in the presence of a loving God of mysterious, scandalous grace. And we give thanks. Some of you know that, uh, or some of you have asked why my youngest son's name, Cody, is spelled with an A, C-O-A-D-Y. No, it's not because we didn't know how to spell Cody when he was born. Um, he is named after my maternal grandmother's brother-in-law. I know you're trying to think through that, aren't you? Um, Eric Cody. I simply called him Uncle Rick. I never saw him a lot growing up because he was one of the few family members that didn't live in Leakesville or in Mississippi. He was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and fitting for a Veterans Day story, he entered enlisted service in the Marine Corps in 1956. Throughout his life, he lived in Japan, in Hawaii, in DC. He flew helicopters in Vietnam, although he never talked about that much. Um, he had a love of learning. He could talk about any topic. And the coolest thing to me, during the Reagan administration, he worked on the Star Wars program. <laughs> Don't ask me what that is. Maybe some of you know. But as a child, when he was at family reunions, I just thought he was the coolest person ever. He didn't have children of his own, so he always had a soft spot for the children of his extended family. He retired to Pensacola, Florida, so in my teenage and college years, I went to visit him quite frequently, of course, so that I could go to the beach and have a free place to stay. Um, but I would stay at his house, and he had collections of shells and books and guns, and he loved to cook, and the list just goes on and on. He always had an interest in science. And since I was a biology major in college, he wanted to know what I was reading, and he would get the books and read alongside me. In fact, when I was in college, he went back to college in 1999 at age 60 and received his master's in education from the University of West Florida. I attended his graduation. There's so much more about his life. But in 2010, he was diagnosed with melanoma. 
And since he was a man of science and one who wanted to do all that he could to help others, he entered an experimental drug program to aid with the research and treatment of melanoma. Um, that drug has since been approved by the FDA. He died in 2012, the year Cody was born, and he died from complications of melanoma. But about three months before he died, he wrote what he simply called, thank you, Lord. Um, it was placed on the back of his funeral bulletin. Um, so these are the words he wanted to leave. And I'm going to try to get through this. I thought it would be okay. Thank you, Lord, for being born into, thank you, Lord, for being born into a wonderful family. They gave me love, guidance, and freedom to succeed and fail. Thank you, Lord, for my excellent mental and physical skills and the opportunities you've afforded to use those skills to help others. Thank you, Lord, for allowing my brother and me to keep anyone from drowning in over 20 years in the state park where we worked as teenage lifeguards. Thank you, Lord, for jerking me up from casual acceptance of my skills when the loss of my college scholarship and sending me to some tough training at Marine Corps boot camp. Thank you, Lord, for helping me gain entry into flight training and commission as a Marine officer. Thank you, Lord, for sending a strong, intelligent, and steadfast woman as my wife. Thank you, Lord, for sending me to Vietnam and other spots in Asia to see how difficult life is for so many in this world. Thank you, Lord, for showing me how fragile life is with the loss of so many friends in, the, in my early flying days. Thank you, Lord, for my second tour in Vietnam when I really learned that all my skill and ability was not about me, but about what I was doing to save lives and suffering for you. Thank you, Lord, for sending melanoma my way and leading me to experimental treatments that I believe will provide knowledge to save the lives and suffering of others. Thank you, Lord, for the mild discomforts that I have suffered from melanoma and the subsequent treatments. Please, Lord, give my wife the peace and serenity to deal with what is to come. Thank you, Lord for all the many blessings in my life. Thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings in my life. Words that echo Paul's own, own in everything give thanks. I pull this out every now and then and read his thank you, Lord, reflection um, from my Uncle Rick. I just pull it out every now and then, and I am both comforted by it, disturbed by it, and challenged by it. His words truly live into that phrase, give thanks in all things. But there really are times we cannot give thanks. I feel like surely he had to have those moments. But then if he did, I never saw it. He did always seem to be thankful. Maybe it's personality. Maybe we just eventually get there. Maybe I'm not supposed to think so deeply about it and just give thanks uh, for his words, for words that say thanks no matter when or how or for whom they come. Or maybe sometimes I just place too much weight on that feeling of thankfulness and connect it too much to happiness or thinking everything has to be going right. 
I don't know. But this I do know. The act of giving thanks, the practice of gratitude is part of the wisdom we gain from Scripture. It is part, a big part, of the overarching story of our faith. There's so many little things in Scripture that we zero in on at the expense, it seems, sometimes to these big picture themes that are named. And gratitude is a big part of how we as the body of Christ live out our faith together. Every month, we come to this table as we are, where we are, carrying all the things no matter what they are. And we give thanks together. We break bread together. We meet Christ, we meet one another, we share table. Next Sunday um, evening, we have the chance to sit down and share table at our Thanksgiving fellowship meal, and I hope you are making plans to join us there. But this gift of togetherness, um, the gift, um, the gift in this togetherness is maybe that I don't have to be like my Uncle Rick, able to write thank you in all of the things. But when I am in a place where I don't have the words to express thank you, Lord, the sacrament of Holy Communion tells me I don't have to have the words. The church provides the words. And my siblings in Christ bring them forward for me until I can. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is our right to give our thanks and praise. Eucharistia, the Greek word for thankfulness, gratitude, giving of thanks. No one says you have to be happy to come to this table or that you have to have it all figured out or have it all together. No, once a month, we bring the messiness of life to this place, to this table, and we walk through a ritual together. As, as Carter Florence says, Paul brings the sharp sword of the word of God to cut through the noise. And our New Testament lesson reminds us that storms and shipwrecks will be part of life that there are things out here um, that we cannot control, if there's anything we can control. Blessings and joys will surprise us in life, but also will hurts and pains and tragedy. But this ritual, the Eucharist, the sacrament of Holy Communion, invites us routinely in the midst of our days to come as we are, to remember we stand in the presence of a loving God of mysterious, scandalous grace and to give thanks. We practice so that when we find ourselves in the midst of the storm and we have no words to say, we know what to do. We come to worship. 
We receive the sacrament, as Anna Carter Florence puts it. We go forth with our hearts encouraged and our hope restored. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is our right to give our thanks and praise. 